0: You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. First verse we're going to read is our 2019 verse for the year. Hosea 6.3, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord, his going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. It is that first line that got my attention. Let us know, and then let us press on to know. We don't always do something new every year. Last year, we knew him. And then this year, the vision is let us continue to know him. Let us continue to press in. Let us know, and let us press on to know the Lord. And then, for reasons I will not say out loud one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I think you might understand when you hear it, but again, I won't say why, so don't judge me falsely. (laughs) On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus, filled with wisdom, said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? Men never repeat that phrase, ever. No matter what, don't. My hour has not yet come. His mother, listening very carefully to Jesus, said, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Please do the math. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jar with water. And they filled them up to the brim. No room for ice. (laughs) And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took, wow, I missed some lines here. They took the water, now become wine. I'm assuming that's what it says. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though his servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called to the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, which is a generous translation of that text, when they had had drunk freely, then they would serve the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Key verse, this is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Just to get it out of the way now, the poor wine is watered down wine because they weren't able to store it the way that we can store things now. And so they would give, the, the good wine was the wine that was 100% wine. Here, just, it was 50 proof. It was 100% wine, okay? And the poor wine was like five proof. So do the math. When Jesus made wine, and the master of the feast said, this is the best wine I've ever tasted, it was fermented. Let's pray. Jesus, you are incredible. We are so grateful that you turn what little bit we can give into something unimaginable. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this congregation right now with rivers of living water that we can offer to you, that you would turn into something that keeps the party going. In your holy, precious name we pray. And everybody said amen. You may be seated. The idea behind last year's first fruit offering is the idea that we wanna get our lives inside the edges. If that doesn't turn into action, then we have issues. If we get organized but don't do anything new with it, what's the point of being organized? And so what we're praying for is that space would be created in us as we give this offering, as we part with more treasure than we're used to parting with, that it would create space in us for the Holy Spirit to act through us. We don't try and behave well. That is not what a Christian is tasked to do. A Christian is tasked with the Mantle of creating space in their life so the Holy Spirit behaves through them. Do we understand the difference there? Our job is not to keep trying really, really hard to do the right thing. Our job is to get out of the way so the Holy Spirit can live the perfect life through us. Jesus lives his life through his church in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. And so we need to create space. God will only do what we create space for him to do. And parting with treasure is one of the ultimate ways to create that kind of space, because it hurts, and excuse my language, it sucks, and that feeling is space being torn open for him. Jesus is the word made flesh, and as one author said in this story, Jesus is the word made flesh that didn't just dwell among us, but that went to a wedding. God himself now has become a human. And in God's humanity, he goes to weddings. So here's what we know. God is the kind of God who if you invited him over, he would come. Because we see that in the person of Jesus. Are we the kinds of people, if we truly are the body of Christ, that can be celebratory in the midst of busy lives? Are we the kinds of people who wouldn't just have people over, Because when you're only having people over, you get to set the terms for that. When are we free? Okay, I think we're free next weekend. No, not next weekend. We have no more weekends free. Oh, my God, the church is crazy. What do we do? Oh, we can have people over next Wednesday night. We we get to set the terms. But when you're invited someplace and you have to RSVP, they get to choose the terms. And you have to make room if you're going to go. So are we the kinds of people who not only have people over, but are we the kinds of people who will go when we're invited? Because God is both. The person of Jesus went to his house, and it says many came to him, and it was at Jesus' very house that they tunneled through the roof and let a lame man down. This is how hospitable Jesus was in terms of having people over. Break into my house. It's perfectly fine. But when he was invited, it says that he was invited with his disciples, and they went to the wedding. Salem, we have to be the kind of church that doesn't just have our doors and windows and roofs open for people but when we're invited, we go and celebrate life with people in the midst of our busyness. So let's talk about creating space. When we get our heart and our carnality out of the way and we create space, here's a few space-creating questions to ask yourself based on this text. The first thing Jesus says in response to they have no wine is, my hour has not yet come. A very peculiar statement in such a scenario. And What my take on this is that Jesus, especially in John's gospel, when you read it carefully, Matthew and Mark and Luke talk all about Jesus in Gethsemane uh, feeling anguish and pain over his impending crucifixion, right? And he says things like, if it's your will, let this cup pass. But in John's gospel, Jesus is never in anguish over his crucifixion. In John's gospel, John's gospel is the one where Jesus walks out of the garden and says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus. And he said, you found him. And they all fall down. So in John's gospel, Jesus is hyper-focused on the cross. He's confident. He's moving in a very aggressive way toward the cross. And so Mary says, hey, they have no wine. And Jesus says, my hour to die has not come yet. This is so interesting for us because Jesus in other words, is standing there in his mind saying, you have no idea the pressing matters I have at hand. And these petty little issues of wine running out, the, like I'm, I'm focused on much bigger things. Have we ever felt that way before? Like we have major stuff going on, and then somebody calls it like a little bit of drama that you know, it's like, is this really, like I can't focus on this right now. Jesus is in that moment, and he says, woman, my hour has not yet come. And Mary's like, okay, just do whatever he tells you to do. And what does Jesus do? He handles the petty little thing. So what do we know about God? If Jesus is what God is like, God is the kind of God who can have major issues to deal with and still see fit to take time out to handle our petty little issues. So the first question of creating space, are we willing to give time with more pressing matters at hand? Am I willing to give time when I have big things going on in my life to sit down and enter the petty drama and be there hospitably like Jesus. Because Jesus had the cross going on and he makes everybody know and then he goes and he performs this miracle at a wedding. So with pressing issues at hand, Jesus still makes time for the little issues. Are we like that? The next thing is, the groom of this wedding was about to become an outcast, and he ends a hero. And I won't go through all the study about this. It really is just people over-dramatize this. It's a very embarrassing reality. Have you ever had a barbecue? People come over, and you run out of food. Like, nobody wants that to happen. You always freak out that we're not going to have enough food. And then when people leave, you have mountains of food left. And so you break all the diets that you're on because, well, we have to eat it because it's here. and you know, Like, we don't want to run out. It's an embarrassing thing if people come over hungry and you run out of food. And so this is just, leave it where it's supposed to be. It's an embarrassing scenario. It's not the worst thing. Some preachers are like, he would be outcasted from the city and murdered. No, he wouldn't. He would just be talked about behind his back for the rest of his life. Because that's what people do. It's the fact that it's not that big of a deal is what makes the story amazing. He goes from being an outcast to a hero. And here's the thing, Jesus... We only know he gets credit for this because 25 years later when, when the gospel was written, they gave him credit. But if you read the text in real time, not when John was writing it, but in real time. I'm, I'm here. I got it. I'm just, I don't need a hundred different ones. There's healing in that. Hold on to that. My Lord in heaven. Oops. Well, where was I before Dan Savage allowed the devil to, literally, where was I? What just happened? He doesn't get credit in the story. Thank you. He doesn't get credit in the story. He only gets credit when the gospel's written. In the story, the master of the feast says to the bridegroom, you saved the best for last. And he's like, yes, I did. I saved the best for last. That was the plan all along, to save the best for last and to break every custom imaginable to save the best for last. He, he takes credit and Jesus gets no credit at all until 25 years later when John pens, guess what, it wasn't the bridegroom who did that, it was Jesus. So the next creating space question is, are we willing to work hard and well with no credit? Are we willing to leave the credit we get to somebody else later in life? No. That's the answer to that question. We're not. Just go on social media. We take credit for stuff when we have an idea to do something and we didn't even do it yet. We take credit for it. We're like, I've gone on a diet. No, you didn't yet. (laughs) You didn't yet. We would never leave our hard work and our work, especially the work that we do well, in the hands of of society to give us credit whenever they decide to. The Holy Spirit does that, though. The Holy Spirit doesn't need credit. He does stuff because he loves the Father. His love of the Father is the credit he gets. Mary has no idea what Jesus means about his hour. They have no wine. They have no wine. In my mind, I picture her realizing, like, Mary's by the wine, and she realizes, oops, there's none left in the wineskins. And so she goes to Jesus and says, hey, they're running out of wine. What do we do? This is going to be embarrassing. And he says, woman, my hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you to do. Like, have you ever felt that way about Jesus before? Let's not be super Christians. Lord, what do I do here? And he gives you some word, and you're like, this makes no sense. And we try to have it make sense. Here's what I love about Mary. She's like, whatever. Do what he tells you to do. You make no sense. Like, it's, it's her son. She's like, shut up. What are you talking about? Your hour has not. No one asked you about your hour. What does that mean? Did they even have hours back then? Like, he, well, my hour has not yet come. Like, what is going on? She's like, just do whatever he tells you to do. Has no idea what Jesus means about his hour, but she testifies anyway, not understanding. That is what the church is supposed to be. Are we willing to testify even in things that we don't understand but we know somewhere else besides our mind? And increasingly in our culture, we're getting made fun of for saying things like that. But here's the reality. Everybody here knows when you fell in love with somebody, when you got married, it is always a chance. You never know if it's going to work out. You're doing something beyond your brain anyway when you fall in love. You are. Maybe I am the only one who's doing that. (laughs) Is it bulletproof, this thing? Can I hide behind it? I don't know. Maybe I'm just the only one who's honest, at least very much. And then here's another part of Mary that I love. Aware of need before others. And brings Jesus to bear on it. She doesn't start running around saying they're running out of wine. She's not tweeting that they're running out of wine. She doesn't have her phone out. Oh my gosh. Has anybody seen the video of that pastor that tried to jump over the hurdle? Not ever, have, raise your hand if you've seen it. Where he said, the Holy Spirit can make things easy for you. And he stands there to try to jump over a hurdle. Hits the hurdle with his shins and lands on his back. You ready? Shame on the person who posted that. Shame on anybody who watched it twice. John, you're fired. I'm trying really hard to not make a joke right now. Like, It's not meant to be funny. Listen, I'm going to do some dumb things. Please don't post it. Just let it be here. Just let it be right here. Let it be dumb. I'm going to say things I shouldn't say. Just, I'm, I'm definitely not trying to jump over anything. If you were here last night, that's actually kind of funny. She realizes a need and quietly goes to Jesus and says, there's a need. And I think you're the one who can handle it. She, in, in times of celebration, are we willing to be aware aware of need during celebratory times. When things are going well, are we able to say somebody has a need and I'm going to quietly bring it before the Lord? Or when things in our own lives are going bad, are we aware to say that somebody has a need and I'm going to let go of mine for a minute and bring it before the Lord? There's something about Mary that is the heart that the church is supposed to have. She recognizes need before it happens, doesn't broadcast it, but brings it to the one who can handle it. So are we willing to give him time with more pressing matters? Are we willing to work hard and well with no credit? Are we willing to testify when we don't really understand? And are we willing to be aware of need during celebratory, and I'll add, painful times? This is what we want to move our hearts out of the way for. We want, to, we want to move our carnal self out of the way so that we can become the kind of church who is willing to give time with more pressing matters at hand. The kind of church that is willing to work hard with no credit. The kind of church that is willing to testify when we don't really understand. The kind of church that is willing to be aware of need, even if we're going through good and bad times ourselves. Today in the story, we're the servants. These unnamed people, Are we willing to be filled with our best and then obey God? I want to point this out. The water to wine is the perfect metaphor for the gifts of the Spirit that we've been praying about. There are six water pots. Six in the Bible all throughout is the number of man. There's not seven. There's not five. There's six water pots. That's the number of man. And here's the funny thing. Wine goes into wineskins. Jesus puts it in water pots. There's so much symbolism here that's unbelievable. But here's the reality. Six is the number of humanity. And Jesus is essentially saying, "See, look over there and see empty stone humanity and fill it with water to the brim. And when humanity gets filled to the brim with water, then take it to the master of the feast. Only that which is filled can become wine. Only filled water jars can become wine. No space for extra writing in the Gospels. And he lets you know they filled it to the brim. Because here's the reality. The gifts of the Spirit are what happens when our effort gets transformed by the Holy Spirit into an action that we wouldn't be able to do on our own. So water to wine is what's happening in us when the gifts of the Spirit flow through us. When we know I'm supposed to pray for somebody, and then in that attempt to pray, which is my giving Christ water, all of a sudden he tells me something about Dan that I wouldn't normally know, and I bring it to him, and Dan says, oh my God, I've been praying for, a resp- I've been praying for an answer. That's water becoming wine. But only that which is filled can become wine. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13. Watch this. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Remove the clanging cymbal part. And he says this, if I speak in the tongues of angels, but have not love. Do you realize how dangerous that is? Paul just said you can function in the gifts of the spirit and be wrong. You can function in the gifts of the spirit and have it be demonic. You have to be filled with love so that the gifts can become wine. Otherwise, they're just a flood of water that destroys things. You have to be filled. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy guy. There's nothing to that gift. Which is why, and I want everybody to know this. Sidebar, tangent, here I go. Everybody who came to the altar two weeks ago, I want everybody here to know that I personally don't believe that tongues is the first sign that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I believe it is an essential and main evidence that you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But for, when Paul says, if I speak in tongues but have not love, the tongues don't matter. So I believe that the first sign that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit is that you are filled to the brim with love because that's what makes everything else work. Without love, none of the other gifts work. So the other gifts can't be the first sign. Love has to be the first sign. The fruit of the Spirit is, it's the first fruit. It's gotta be the first sign of of being baptized in the Spirit because everything else can only happen when the pots are filled to the brim with love, with water. So with that said, if you've been to altar calls and you haven't spoken in tongues, I want you to know you got filled with the Holy Spirit. You left the altar with something that you didn't have when you came. Let's just leave it right there. When you come here and somebody lays hands on you and you believe the Holy Spirit's gonna move on you and you want him to, what does Jesus say? If you want a fish, I'm not gonna give you a stone, and if you ask for the Spirit, you're gonna get it. If you don't speak in tongues, all we're saying is, Lord, what did you deposit in me today? That's the question we should be leaving asking. So no need for discouragement. I never want anybody to be discouraged when they leave the altar, ever. Not at Salem. I want us to know that we left with something we didn't have before. Our verse for the year, let us know, let us press on to know. That word for press is persecute. Let us know, but let us persecute to know the Lord. What does that mean? It means let us know him, but then let us fight through all the things that keep us from knowing him. Like, the first half of that verse is, I want to work out. And the second half of the verse is, so I'm actually going to get up and do something. Let us know, but let us press on to know the Lord. We have to press and move and fight and build through some things to know him. And so it's not enough to say, I know him. We have to press. We have to press past opinions. We have to press past disagreements if we're going to know the Lord. So last year we said, being inside the edges is knowing him, and this year the vision doesn't change. We don't go to something new and hype. We sit there and say we have to keep pressing to know him. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes continuing. Run the race with endurance. The church is called to be there when the world's attempt at having a wedding runs out. As soon as you leave here and you go to work, everyone's trying to have a wedding. Everyone's trying to marry something spiritual. Everyone's trying to make meaning of their life. Everyone's trying to become one with their idea, their philosophy, their ideology, something. And at some point, that wine is going to run out. And the church has to be there when the wine runs out and says, Jesus, the wine here in this person's life is running low. What do we do? That's our job, that's what we're supposed to be doing as the church. We're called to have God work through us to change our actions into gifts like he changes water into wine. You're called to do wine things in this earth, not just water things. Water is what we're able to do. Wine is what only God can do. And I'm looking at people who are called probably more than the pastor is to have their water be turned to wine. You're supposed to do amazing things when you leave here. Never forget that. Never forget that. You're called to great things. Great things. Terrible things, but great. That was a line from Harry Potter. I had to do it. Just because my wife loves Harry Potter, and I just scored a lot of points on that one. Great things. Terrible, but great. What's going on, you know? Let's have fun as we get ready to close with John's gospel. Sometimes we have to have fun with the gospel. This is one of those things where it's like, just take it or leave it. I think this is incredible. It's amazing. Just hang out with this. It says in John's gospel that this was the first sign that Jesus did. And then in chapter four, he performs another sign, and it says this is now the second sign that Jesus did. And then it never says it again, but John gives you sign one and sign two so that you keep reading counting the signs. That's why he gives you one and two so you know there's a rhythm to this book. I got to count. So watch this. Sign one is the wedding at Cana, chapter two. Sign two, the centurion's servant is healed, chapter four. Sign three, the healing of the lame man at the pool, chapter 5. Sign 4, the feeding of the 5,000, chapter 6. Sign 5, healing of the blind man, chapter 9. And sign 6, Lazarus raised from the dead, chapter 11. Now, pause here. If you're counting, you just got to 6. And so the question is why would we look for a seventh. Why does something in you say it can't end on six? Because seven is his number of perfection. The first place in the Bible we hear about seven is Genesis chapter one. And what are the first words in the Bible? Oh, come. Say it loud and proud, come on. In the beginning is how our Bible starts. And how does the Gospel of John start? In the beginning. So, in Genesis, when you hear in the beginning, the next thing you read is about seven signs that God does or seven acts of God. So, when John, who realizes in Christ is new creation, he starts rewriting a new Genesis and he says in the beginning and he starts to number these signs, he wants you to say, How do we get to seven? Because he's writing a new Genesis, he's rewriting the story of creation. So watch this. In Genesis, on the sixth day, God created man. And in John's gospel, the sixth sign is Lazarus being raised from the dead. On day six, God creates man. And the sixth sign in John's gospel, he's he's a genius, poetic writer, John. Day six, God creates man. Sign six, God raises Lazarus from the dead. In both of those instances, you're left with a knot in your stomach. Because when God created man, we did a really good job right off the bat. We failed. When God raises Lazarus from the dead, a few verses later, it says that the Jews were seeking to kill him, and they could kill him, because even though he was raised, he could still be killed again. So whether it's humanity being created that falls, or whether it's Lazarus being raised and knowing he can die again, you're saying, they're saying, day six isn't enough, we need something else. And so, in Genesis, on the seventh day, it says that on the seventh day, God finished his work. And so, the seventh sign in the Gospel of John is Jesus saying, it is finished on the cross. And you see the new week of creation. Why do I say that? Because when creation is completed, the Holy Spirit happens in Genesis. The Holy Spirit is the agent, the cause, and the outflow of creation. And so, Again, for those of you who are nerds like me, this is a fun point. And for those of you who don't like this stuff, like, whatever, you're dead to me. So (laughs) Noah is in an ark, and creation has been destroyed. And he's waiting for new creation. He sends out a dove three times. First time he sends out the dove, the dove comes back with nothing in its mouth. The second time he sends out the dove, the dove comes back with an olive branch, and the third time he sends out the dove, it doesn't come back, and when the dove doesn't come back, Noah knows there's new creation. God sends his spirit out in Genesis, and in Genesis chapter 6, he says, I have to take my spirit back. My spirit will not strive with man. They're too evil, and the dove comes back with nothing in its mouth. Then in the gospels, the dove lands on Jesus, And when Jesus is on the cross, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he sends the dove back, but this time the dove has a cross in its mouth. A sign that there might be life happening, a branch, a cross. And then in Acts chapter two, God sends his spirit again, and this time the spirit lands on new creation and doesn't need to return because it's found something new called the church. That's us. Our job is to continue to recreate this earth with Jesus. Our job is to make enough space in our hearts and lives that we are used by God to continue to cultivate the Garden of Eden in our lives. Our job is that God is still saying, be fruitful and multiply, work the ground and till it, and the fruit and gifts of the Spirit are how we do that for the world. And so to whatever extent right now, we're not living that kind of life Today is a day that I want us to defiantly say, starting now, I'm moving my carnality out of the way, and I'm creating space because wherever I go, if I go to work, if I go to friends, if I go to my marriage, if I go to my social networks, if I'm constantly saying it's broken, my boss is this, my coworkers are that, my car doesn't work, my life is ter- if you're constantly saying it's broken, you're confessing that new creation needs to happen, and you're the answer for that. And we have a choice to either be like the Great Commission, be fruitful and multiply, preach the gospel, redeem creation, or Israel just grumbling over the inevitable. We will always point out brokenness. We're really good at that, right? Every piece of brokenness that we call out, it is our responsibility to be agents of new creation in that place. Let's stand to our feet. As we get ready to come to the table, I want to invite you that when you come to the first fruits of the new creation, you can then come and bring your first fruit offering and lay it on the altar. Jesus is at the wedding in Cana. He is the bread and he makes wine. And so the first thing that happens in all of his signs is the Eucharist shows up. He's the bread and he turns water into wine. And at this wedding, you have bread and you have wine. It is our job to keep the party going in the world. God is the kind of God who doesn't let a wedding run out. He keeps the party going. And if you're sitting here saying, how can you say that? What about people in third world countries? Is their party still going? And here's my answer. The Eucharist is the place where the party keeps going. In the, broken, in the perceived brokenness of the world is where the party continues. Every person, if they're poor and destitute can come to this table and see the wealth of God. And any one of us who are rich and have it easy come to the table and we see the poverty of God. And it's the same thing. To the rich, the wealth of God is poverty. And to the poor, the wealth of God is abundance. It brings everybody to the same place, the Eucharist. Everyone gets brought to the same place. We come to the first fruits of the resurrection bringing our first fruit offering, asking God to create space. So I'm going to pray over this meal right now, and then I'm going to invite my wife to come up because she has a word that she wants to give as we bring our first food offering. So why don't we lift our hands and pray for a moment. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would descend on these gifts and make them for your people, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the first fruits of what is to come, that your resurrection is the beginning of our resurrection. That your life after the tomb is the beginning of our life after the tomb. And Holy Spirit in you, we start to live that life after the tomb now. In this place, we live resurrection future lives now. And so we come to this meal remembering that our life is already beginning from the future. And so I pray on every household, every person who is deciding to give, every person, Father God, who's bringing something, I pray that you would move their carnality out of the way and that more than money back, this church and the people in it would create space for you to live your life through us in a way that keeps the party going. In your holy, precious name we pray. And everybody said, amen.